power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, Elder Key. And good morning and welcome to Christ Central. My name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. If you're joining us for the first time today, welcome to our church. We're so glad that you're here. Or maybe today's the first time in a while. In that case, welcome back and welcome home. At our church, every year we set aside the month of February to be our missions month. And during Missions Month, we as a church consider all the different ways that God is advancing and spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this year's Missions Month theme is His Workmanship Created in Christ Jesus for Good Works. Now that theme comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this year, to kick off our Missions Month, we have Pastor Philip Chung uh, from the Lausanne Movement, and he's going to tell you a little bit about what that is and the significant and historic work that the Lausanne Movement uh, will be doing, has done and will be doing, especially this year. Uh, but how can I uh, introduce Pastor Philip? He is one of my favorite people. He's one of my younger brothers. I am so proud of him and the pastor that he's become and the important work that he's doing with the Lausanne movement. So, Christ Central, can you help me welcome Pastor Philip? Well, it is an honor for me to be here and to join you in worship today. Um, I want to first thank Pastor Owen and the rest of the pastoral staff for not just inviting me to come and speak today, but uh, for being such a blessing in my life. For the last 10 years, you've invested so much into me and, and the impact that you've had in my life. Uh, I just can't put into words, but really, thank you. Thank you. Um, as Pastor Owen mentioned, I serve in the Lausanne movement, and I was asked to come and share a little bit about the work that we do. And so what I want to do this morning is give you a brief overview of the Lausanne movement, and then spend the rest of our time looking at Psalm 117 as a way to answer the question, why missions? Why should any of us care about global missions? Now, the question that I get asked all the time is, what is the Lausanne movement? And that's a fair question. It's a question that I asked when I first heard about the Lausanne movement. And so I love what one of my former colleagues said about her experience in an article that she wrote. And so I want to share that with you. She said, and I quote, six years ago, when I first joined the Lausanne staff, I had never heard of the Lausanne movement before. What soon dawned on me, however, was that though I did not know about the Lausanne movement, I had been living all my life in the missile cultural waters created by it. I learned that words used commonly among missional Christians like unreached people groups and the 1040 window had originated at Lausanne congresses. I began stumbling across the Lausanne covenant as a statement of faith for various and unrelated Christian organizations. And more than anything, I began to see how the web of friendships underlying the world of global missions was intimately anchored in Lausanne. From creation care to mental health, workplace ministry to families and children, it seemed there was no arena of global mission that did not bear Lausanne's quiet watermark. 
the heart of the Lausanne movement is a desire to accelerate global mission by bringing together and connecting Christian influencers and ideas. The simple idea or the simple belief is that we believe we can do more together in collaboration than individually on our own. And so when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission, we long to work with the global church. We long to partner hand-in-hand with organizations and churches around the world to fulfill this task. We have a saying in the Lausanne movement that it takes the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. The Lausanne movement began in 1974 when Billy Graham, along with John Stott, brought together 2,700 Christian leaders from over 150 nations. And this gathering took place in Lausanne, Switzerland, and so that's where we get the name, the Lausanne movement. Time magazine described this gathering as a formidable forum, possibly the widest ranging meeting of Christians ever held. And at this gathering, there was an important turning point in modern-day church history. What we have to understand is that in the 1970s, the global church started to prematurely celebrate the fulfillment, the completion of the Great Commission. And the reason for this is that there were technically known Christians in every nation on earth by the 70s. And so a lot of the churches and Christian organizations and even some mission agencies started to take the foot off the gas pedal of global missions. Some of the church leaders even calling for the suspension of foreign missions altogether. And so it was in this context that a missiologist by the name of Ralph Winter took stage at that first congress. And he explained to the global church that there were yet still, yet Thousands upon thousands of unreached people groups, ethnic groups, without a single known Christian in it. And so the introduction of this concept, the UPG or the unreached people groups, reignited the passion for missions and launched what is now the modern day mission movement. Then in 1989, the Second World Congress took place in Manila, Philippines. At this congress, there were approximately 3,000 delegates from 173 nations. And it was at this congress that Lewis Bush identified that the majority of the unreached people groups were concentrated in what is now known as the 1040 window. The 1040 window is a 10 to 40 degree latitudinal area covering North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. And so as you could imagine, when this was introduced to the global church leaders, then the the global church starts to mobilize all of its people and resources to this particular part of the world for missions. Some estimate that there were 14,000 unreached people groups before the Lausanne movement. That number has now been reduced by half to 7,300. In 2010, we had our third Congress in Cape Town, South Africa. At this gathering, there were 4,000 leaders from 198 nations. 
And by this point, because the Lausanne movement and these gatherings have been making such a global impact, the Chinese government arrested all of the Chinese delegates flying out to Cape Town for this gathering. So we had this void of the Chinese representatives at this gathering. So there were 300 empty seats. And there was a moment when all the participants lifted up the chairs to represent the missing group, the Chinese, our brothers and sisters in in China. And we said, and and so there was a call that went out and the Chinese church felt so encouraged and they vowed to send X number of missionaries as a way to pay forward within the Chinese church. Another thing that really stood out to me from this gathering was a call that went out to the Christian leaders to become his people, H-I-S, a people of humility, integrity, and simplicity. And this was such an important call at a time when the celebrity culture started to really affect church leaders. And so this was a call for us to come back to the basics, to remember what it is to be a servant leader and to serve the way Christ served the church. And now we're getting ready for the fourth Congress, which will take place later this year in South Korea. This will be our 50-year anniversary, and 5,000 leaders from nearly 200 nations will gather together to address some of the most pressing issues of our generation. Now, there are a lot of things that we are planning for this Congress, but one thing that I'm personally excited about is the release of an important document called the State of the Great Commission Report. This report will be one of the most comprehensive, up-to-date, research-based report on where we are as the global church and the challenges we face in the rapidly changing world. And so these are the Lausanne Congresses in a nutshell. It's a once-per-generation gathering of Christian leaders to try to work towards a fulfillment of the Great Commission. Now, we have other ministries that we do every year by year, but um, just for the sake of time, um, I, and I'd love to share more about the Lausanne movement after the service is done, um, but this is what we do. We're passionate about the global church, and we're passionate about global missions. And my hope is that by the end of today's service, you too will be just a little bit more passionate about the work of missions. And so now I want to turn our attention to looking at Psalm 117. Psalm 117 is unique because it is the shortest chapter in the entire Bible. It's 28 words in our English translation. But what I find even more interesting is that Psalm 117 is the very middle chapter in the entire Bible. For those of us who like fun facts, there are exactly 1,189 chapters from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21. And Psalm 117 is the 595th chapter. And so if you do your math on it, you'll find that this is the very middle chapter. The shortest chapter in the Bible also happens to be the very middle chapter of the Bible. Now, we know the Bible chapters are not inspired, but I still find it interesting that when you open up the Bible and you get to the very heart of the Bible, you begin to discover the very heart of God. A number of years ago, Pastor Albert and I had the opportunity to hike up a mountain called the Old Rag. 
Now, for those of you who've done the hike, you know that this isn't your typical hiking trail. The old rag is a nine and a half mile circuit with an elevation gain of 2,300 feet from start to the top, from the bottom to the top. And it takes approximately eight hours to complete. And the way the old rag is designed is you go up one side of the mountain and then you come down the other side. And so I remember as we were hiking for the first four hours, we could only see one side of this mountain. And I kept wondering, I kept asking myself, what would it look like once I reached the top? What would that view look like? And sure enough, when we reached the peak, we had this unobstructed, breathtaking, 360-degree view of the entire mountain range. And you can just see for miles on out. You see, Psalm 117 is like standing on that peak. Psalm 117 is a panoramic picture of what the entire Bible is all about. And so for the rest of our time, as we do a deeper dive into Psalm 117, these are the three points that we'll look at to guide our time. The first, we'll look at the call. Second, we'll look at the reach. And then finally, the motivation. First, the call. Psalm 117 begins and ends with an imperative. Praise the Lord. In Hebrew, it's hallelujah. That's what it means. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. The call here in Psalm 117 is to worship God, to lift his name on high, to glorify him. And so when we look at the big picture of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we see that it's about worship at its core. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it interesting that worship is what God ultimately cares about. That's the end goal. You see, when I was a kid growing up in a Christian household, I thought a Christian was someone who went to church every single Sunday, who prayed before each meal, who paid uh, offering every Sunday and had other Christian friends. And a Christian is someone who didn't do all the, all the things on the sin list. And so naturally, as a, as a young believer, I thought these were the things that God cared most about, that he was hyper-focused on whether we kept these rules or not. And so naturally, my relationship to God was directly impacted by how well I was abiding by these rules. But that's not what we find in Scripture That's not what God cares the most about. God cares about worship. The first question of Westminster Catechism is this. What is the chief and highest end of man? What is our ultimate purpose in life? The answer, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. We were created to worship God, to fully enjoy him, to praise the Lord, to set our heart's devotion on him, to have no other gods before him and him alone. You see, it's always been about worship. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And this leads to my next point, the reach. In today's short passage, it says, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. 
Now, in our day and age, this may not be that big of a deal. We know that there are Christians all around the world, but we have to understand this psalm in its context. You see, at the time of this writing, there was only one nation, one people group that was praising God, and that was Israel. But here was the problem. This one nation had no desire to share their faith with the outsiders. In fact, what we see in Scripture is that the Israelites considered the outsiders or the non-Israelites as Gentiles or goings. And they made a very clear distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles. And in the eyes of the Israelites, these Gentiles were unclean, pagan worshipers who practiced all these abominable rituals and committed all sorts of heinous sins. So they wanted nothing to do with these Gentiles, and their hearts were turned against them. And we see this sort of attitude in the book of Jonah, where the prophet is instructed to go and share a message of repentance and salvation to the Ninevites. But as we all know the story, what does Jonah do? He flees, he deliberately disobeys God, and he flees in the opposite direction. Why did he do that? Well, in Jonah chapter 4, we're told that the very reason why Jonah disobeyed God was because he knew God was a gracious and merciful God, and he didn't want the Ninevites to be spared. He was so upset with God for sparing the Ninevites that he goes as far as to say, I would rather die than to live. This was their attitude against the Gentiles. And this sort of attitude, discrimination, continues into the New Testament as well. There's a scene in Acts 22 when Apostle Paul is put on trial. And one of the accusations that they bring up against Paul is that he he defiled the temple by bringing an outsider in. And that was an offense, a crime, enough to put him to death. And so they they seize him, they drag him, they're trying to kill him. You see, the Israelites had somehow become the sort of a gatekeeper to God, and they refused to let anyone in who wasn't of their own kind. You see, it was inconceivable in the minds of the Israelites that anyone else could praise God, let alone all nations, all peoples. What we have to understand about Psalm 117 is that even though It's in the Jewish writing, in the book of Psalms. It was not something that they looked forward to seeing fulfilled. Psalm 117 is a prophetic psalm. It spoke of a reality yet to come. And this reality seemed like an impossibility at the time of its writing. How is it that all nations, all peoples will come to praise God? But later in verse 2, there is a section where it says, God's faithfulness endures forever. And that word faithfulness is truth, his word, God's truth. And we know that God's word endures forever. The will of God will prevail no matter who's opposed to it. You know, as I've been meditating on Psalm 117, I couldn't help but to realize that I don't come from the biological line of Abraham and David. My family 
My people group is included in the all nations category, the all peoples of this psalm. And just looking around this room, I would imagine that you're in the same boat as well. What's amazing about Psalm 117 today as we worship is that you and I are part of the fulfillment of this prophetic psalm, Psalm 117. And the reach of this prophetic psalm included you. When God inspired the author to write the psalm, you were in that. But it gets even more amazing than that. When we zoom out, out of this room, out of Centerville, out of Virginia, and we begin to have a global perspective, a a bird's eye view, then we have this incredible picture of what takes place. Have you ever considered the fact that every single Sunday, there is a global relay of worship that takes place? Starting in the very far east with New Zealand, Fiji, Australia, Papua New Guinea, People on Sunday morning are waking up, gathering for worship, and praising the Lord. And just as they're ending their worship time, guess what? The people in the next time zone over, China, Japan, Korea, and onward, they're getting up, they're congregating, and they're worshiping. And every hour that the earth is rotating, people in different parts of the world are gathering for worship. There is a global relay of worship that takes place every single Sunday. And so as we've gathered for worship this morning, we're not just worshiping on our own as Christ central. No, we're part of something much larger. When we gather for worship, we're joining the global church in this global praise unto God. We are partaking in the fulfillment of this prophecy. What seemed like an impossibility, we are now living in that reality. And this leads to my final point, the motivation. In Psalm 117, we're told that the reason why all nations, all peoples will come to worship God is found in verse two. It says, for great is the steadfast love for us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures for." Ever. You see, it could have said here, praise the Lord for mighty is his name. Praise the Lord for his splendor and his beauty. Praise the Lord because he is the creator of all things. And all of that would be true and valid reasons for why we ought to worship God. And we, in fact, find some of these reasonings in other psalms in the book of Psalms. But when it comes to this particular psalm, Psalm 117, we're told that the reason why all nations and all peoples will eventually come to worship God is based on these two things. God's steadfast love and his faithfulness, which endures forever. And I think this is what separates Christian worship from every other worship in all the other religions around the world. The motivation for why we worship is not to try to gain heaven or to avoid hell. It's not out of fear or compulsory. It's not out of greed. The reason why we worship is out of gratitude. Our worship is a response to God's love first shown to us. 
Psalm 117 says, Praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. And this begs the question then, how has God shown his love and his faithfulness to us? We're told in John 3, 16, that God vivis through the person of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, after he finished the meal with his disciples, we're told in Matthew 26, 30, that they then sung a hymn. And this hymn that they sung wasn't just a random song they sang. The hymn that they sang is none other than a collection of psalms called a Hallel, according to Jewish tradition. And the Hallel consists of Psalms 113 through 118. Many scholars believe that Jesus sang Psalm 117 on the night that he would be betrayed, arrested, tortured, and then crucified. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love for us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Jesus sang these words. For the Jews, Psalm 117 was a perplexing psalm. For us, Psalm 117 is a song of promise, hope, and blessing. But for Jesus to sing this song and to see it come true meant something completely different. Jesus knew that the only way Psalm 117 could be fulfilled is if he died, if he gave up his life. Why? Psalm 117 makes it very clear. It says, the nations will praise God because of God's love for them. In John 3, 16, we're told because God so loved the world, he sent his son. Not only that, but when we look at Romans 5, 8, we see exactly what it meant for God to send his son. It says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In order for Psalm 117 to be fulfilled, Jesus had to die on our behalf. Why? Because the Bible makes it very clear. We are all idolaters. We have all broken the first commandment, which is that we should not have any other gods before him. Even though we were created to worship God, we will find just about anything and everything else in life to worship except for him alone. Tim Keller, in his little book, Counterfeit Gods, describes a human heart as an idol-making factory. We are constantly looking for things here on earth to give us what ultimately God can give, that only God can provide. We take the gifts of God and we make it the ultimate things. We say things like, only if I have that, then I will be happy. Only if this were true, then I'll never ask for anything else. And when we say that, in our idolatry, what we are saying 
is God is not enough. He is not trustworthy. He is not dependable. He can't deliver. So I have to secure my security, my sense of worth, my source of happiness on my own. And so the things that we're latching onto become the functional saviors in our lives. They are the gods, the little gods that we worship. And so it consumes our minds and we devote our lives to those things. And we do this all the time. But God, rich in mercy, slow in anger, abounding in love, sent his son to die for us, even in our rebellion against him. As Jesus sang Psalm 117, he knew that he had to drink from that cup of wrath, the cup of wrath that was due for you and for myself. You see, Jesus was the true and perfect worshiper, singularly and faithfully devoted to God, glorifying God all the days of his life. And yet on that cross, Jesus took our place and he absorbed the punishment of our sins and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was treated as an idolater on that cross so that you and I, a true idolatrous people, can begin to behold the love of God and his faithfulness and begin to turn our hearts into a heart of worship. When we behold the unconditional, unwavering love of God for each and every single one of us, when we see that God is committed to us and faithful to us, even in our unfaithfulness to him, then it begins to melt our hearts. Songs of praise and adoration naturally well up and overflow in our lives. What is the Bible all about? It's a story of God redeeming and gathering his people from all corners of the earth, people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And at the heart of it is God restoring worship for us. And this is why we care about missions. John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, says that missions exist because worship does not. Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. That's the end goal. And we do missions because there's still parts in this world where mission yet exists. We thank God for the 10,000 people groups that now have professing Christians around the world. But there are still yet 7,300 unreached people groups right now, today, as we're worshiping. And so it's the mission of the church to take the gospel where worship does not yet exist so that upon hearing the good news, they too could join us in this miraculous global choir that we get to enjoy. The mission of missions is to bring worship where worship does not exist. And so finally, what does this mean for us? 
just want to give you a couple of practical applications. First of all, I invite you to worship God in your own lives. Don't let Sunday morning be the only time that you praise his name. Throughout the week, throughout the day, even a short sentence, say, God, thank you. God, you are faithful. God, I will trust in you. God, you are good. Make your life a life of worship unto God. Secondly, I invite you to pray that you would have a heart after God's own that you would begin to carry the burden of Psalm 117 in your own hearts, that you would long to see worship take place where worship does not yet exist. Are there people in your life, your coworkers, your neighbors, your classmates, your family members, who have yet to encounter this unfathomable, amazing love of God? Maybe some of you are thinking, they'll never respond to the gospel. They'll never come around. There's no hope of salvation for them. But guess what? That's exactly what the Jews thought about the rest of the world. And yet here we are worshiping God. And so I encourage you to pray for those people in your life. Pray for people that others have given up on and say, God, Show your love and your mercy to them as well. And then finally, as we kick off the missions month, Christ Central, I ask that you would not let your foot off the gas pedal of global missions. The work is yet to be completed. Don't prematurely celebrate. Would you consider giving your time, treasure, talent towards the effort of global missions? We are here today because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. But not only that, but because of the countless number of Christians who have been transformed by the gospel, who have then said it, doesn't, it will not stop with me. I will then carry this gospel forward and share it with others. The gospel came to you at the sacrifice of Jesus and all the saints in the last 2,000 years. Don't let it end with you. Give yourself to the work of the missionary effort. And I know I said finally, but lastly, please pray for the Lausanne Congress. Please, please pray for our gathering that will take place in September. Please pray that we would continue to bring the global church leaders together to try to accelerate the fulfillment of the Great Commission together. Let us pray. Father God, we... Thank you that Psalm 117 is in the Bible. We thank you that this was your plan all along, that we were part of the, 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 the vision and the, and the plan that you had from the beginning. We thank you that you had included in Psalm 117 all nations and all people and most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to make this become a reality. As we are a people who now worship you, who've been, who've been saved by your grace, been transformed by, the, by your enduring love and faithfulness, may we now as a church go forward in sharing this wonderful news with those around us. We pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
Church, would you please rise? Respond in worship.